have to tell you a story about Jim and myself and one of our maintenance crew. Because I understand that you're down one today, Jim. Uh, any of you remember the, the uh, Peter Sellers, Cato dialogue that went on between them and their movies? Well, we have an African-American wonderful uh, maintenance guy named William. And William's been working here for a long time. And uh, we, uh, Jim and him and myself and him have these little games going. It's who scares who last and the best. And uh, I get up here early sometimes. I remember I was coming from my office down that way with a uh, tray, you know, rolling that tray one time. He came out from underneath the tables <laughs> at 6.30 in the morning. Come, come rolling out from underneath, underneath those tables. And I've got him a few times too. But uh, Jim, I understand, was down playing your horn. I was playing the tuba this morning. Yeah, he was, Jim was down in the sanctuary playing the tuba. And he was going through it. And William said, I just, I saw him there and I was captivated by what he was doing. And I, I walked up and stood beside him for about two minutes. And Jim was just, boom, 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 boom. He, he had them, everything down. And I guess he finished and he said, how are you doing? And he said, Jim went backwards with that, that tuba like this. And he got you, didn't he? But, uh, those are exciting things we do around here. Open your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Gary Weir uh, emailed me earlier asking what I was going to be speaking on tonight. And my subject is, how you doing? That's an interesting subject, isn't it? How you doing? So I guess he put it on the, on the email or whatever, and he's getting everything ready to go. But uh, I want to share with you on that subject tonight and the passage from 1 Thessalonians 3. I don't know how much you watch the commercials but uh, these, I watch them because I like to watch a lot of sporting events. Um, and there was one several years ago where um, these guys from apparently New Jersey would come into this bar and they would say, How you doing? How you doing? How you doing? You all remember those? How you doing? They had all kind of series of those. How you doing? How you doing? And I don't understand how that helped them sell their product, but evidently it did because they, they just did them for a long time. Well, there was one where this Texan, you remember that one? This tech had a big old hat on, 10-gallon hat, and, and he, uh, he, uh, they'd, they'd done a couple rounds of how you doing, and then he walked in. He had a voice like Gomer Pyle, if any of you, any of you go back that far. It sounded just like Gomer Pyle. So he comes in and sits down, and they couple how you doings, and they ask him. And he said, I'm so glad you would ask. I just came in from Dallas. They rerouted me to Chicago. And then they got me into New York. And, and I missed my taxi. And he goes through this long rigmarole, which they didn't want to hear. All they wanted to hear was, how you doing? How you doing? How you doing? So he goes through all of this. Well, that happens once. And then somebody else comes in. And he makes the mistake of asking the Texan again, how you doing? I'm glad you asked. And he went, he went through this. They went through it two or three times. And then the last guy that came in got ready to do it, and the guy behind the bar said, don't ask him. Don't ask him. No longer do we do this. But tonight, I want to ask you, how are you doing? And I mean spiritually. How are you doing? How are you doing in your spiritual walk tonight? How's it going? How are you doing? How are you doing spiritually? 
And when I ask that, many times people will say, are you asking about the, the surface part of our spiritual lives? Uh, you interested in it, whether we're reading our Bibles faithfully? Are we keeping up on our giving? Uh, how's our attendance been the last six months? Is that what you mean? Are you con- concentrating on the outer part of our spiritual walk? No, I think we're more concerned about the deeper, the deeper spiritual walk. You go to church growth seminars, which I've gone to several times in the past, and almost everybody in the church group movement talk about attendance. What's your attendance? What are you running? And I'm not sure that attendance has all that much to do about the church's spiritual health. It's important, but I don't think it's that important. A better question would be, how active, how pure, vibrant, and abiding is the faith of the people? And them, that in the God that they serve. How active, pure, vibrant, and abiding is your faith in the God that you serve? That's the better questions tonight. Because buildings can be packed and not be, not be strong spiritually. Buildings can be packed and be strong spiritually. But a lot of times... They're not effective in their spiritual walk. And they do not have the power that many people would think they would have. Well, what was Paul concerned about when he sends Timothy into Thessalonica to check on this new Thessalonian church? I think you may know this. If you don't, Paul had spent three weeks there. And he had done some fantastic things. He, he preached and he taught in power and many people were converted. And then if you have studied this, you know that he got ran out of town. He came into opposition and they actually ran him out of town. Uh, So what did Paul want Timothy to check on? How many are they running in the church services? Are their offerings covering the bill? Have they started a building fund yet? What movies are the congregation going to see? No. That's not what he was after. And by the way, I've got, I do have to mention this. I do have to make a plug. I would, rec- I would recommend, maybe others wouldn't, but I would recommend you see Gods and Generals, a new movie out uh, that uh, I have seen. Uh, I'm not going to tell you what it's about. My wife always accuses me when I start doing this. I tell everybody the plot, and I'm not going to do that. But it is really, it's a long movie, three hours and 45 minutes with a 15-minute intermission. But it is is so refreshing to see a people that lived in a time when faith was integrated into all parts of their lives. All parts of their lives. When these people talked, they talked very polished, but God was in their conversations. Uh, They would break out in prayer at a moment's notice. In this movie, I see a general and and an African-American praying together. Just like that. You'd see husbands and wives reading the Scripture together. And it's just a refreshing movie. And, uh, you know, they weren't worried about death. They knew death was any time. They were involved in the Civil War, as you probably would know. And they knew death could come at any time. But they weren't concerned. They weren't worried. They realized that every battle that they went into may be their last. But if you want to see a good movie, you can take your children if they can sit still for four hours. 
but it is it is really good. Now some of the some of the stuff I'm not sure that their beards were quite their real beards. I think they put on some costume type beards, and some of the scenes that are depicted I think are off of the mural rather than actually being there. But it it is really good. And you know what else is amazing that is that Ted Turner is the producer. In fact, he makes a cameo appearance in this of about 15 seconds. He's got a he's got a line or two in there. And uh, he is an avowed atheist who is still angry with God because he believes God took his sister at an earlier age. And he's been angry at God for a long time. Well, why would he allow this to be shown? Because it's full. I mean, it, it has more scripture and prayer in it than some churches have in a month's time. Believe me, you see it and you'll, and, and you'll see. But uh, I recommend it to you. Gods and generals. So what was Paul concerned about? Let's read. First uh, Thessalonians, I want to back up to second chapter, the 19th verse, and then read uh, through about um, the 13th verse of the third chapter. Keep in mind, this is a Thessalonican church that he administered to, got run out of town. He had a great, great revival. Many people had come to Christ, and now they're in a pattern where they need to be discipled. They need to be matured. They need to be mentored in the faith. And he writes to them, For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at His coming? Those who are in the ministry, oftentimes, this is, this is what we live for. People who have been transformed by the truth of the Word of God and turned on for Jesus Christ. And we rejoice in them, in observing them, their life, their growth, their maturity. That's what Paul is saying. For you, verse 20, are our glory and our joy. I've, I've been fortunate to work with several groups here at Grace since I've been here. And that's what I live for. To see what those individuals do. To see how they grow. To see how committees come together. To see how Bible studies come together. That's what makes us thrive in the ministry. And Paul is saying the same thing. That the people there, they are his glory. And they are his joy. Therefore, when we could, do, we could no longer endure it, we thought it good to be left in Athens alone. So he's going to stay in Athens. He can't get back there. And so I'm going to send Timothy who is our brother and minister of God and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ. And I'm going to send him to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith so that no one should be shaken by these afflictions. He's referring to afflictions probably that they went through while he was there. And he doesn't want them shaken by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. He must have communicated that in the time that he was with them, that there would be difficult times, there would be trials, there would be tough stuff ahead. It says in the scripture that Christianity is not a bed of roses. And uh, shame on those people that say after you become a Christian, you never have any more problems, that everything goes easy. That's not true. And Paul is saying, well, I talked to you about the afflictions that surely would come. Verse 4. For in fact, we told you before when we were with you that we would suffer tribulation, just as it happened, and you know. For this reason, when I could no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter had tempted you, and our labor might be in vain. But now that Timothy 
has come to us from you and brought us good news of your faith and your love and that you always have good remembrance of us, greatly desiring to see us as we also to see you. Therefore, brethren, in all our affliction and distress, we were comforted concerning you by your faith. For now we live, and if you stand fast in the Lord, for what thanks can we render to God for you? For all the joy with which we rejoice for your sake before our God, night and day praying exceedingly that we may see your face and perfect what is lacking in your faith. Now, may our, may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Did you hear a pattern? Did you hear what the concern was from Paul to the Thessalonica church? Did you hear what he was talking about? Did you notice in verse 2 that I sent Timothy to strengthen you in your faith? Did you notice that in verse 5 he said, When I could stand it no longer, I so much wanted to be with you and to see how it was going with you spiritually. I sent to find out about your faith. Did you notice in verse 6? But Timothy has just come to us from you and has brought us good news about your faith and about your love. Verse 7. Therefore, brothers, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. And in verse 10, night and day, we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Do you see what he was concerned about? Not the attendance, not the building fund, their faith. How are they doing? How are they growing in their faith? Would you notice in, in verse 10 too that he's, says we're praying for you night and day. I don't know about you, but I'd like to have been on Paul's prayer list. I would have loved to have been on his list. Because when he prayed for you, believe me, he prayed for you. Our pastor has mentioned to me many on many occasions that a real foundation of our church will be prayer. And we've had we have some good breakouts. We've got some good things happening in the area of prayer. But it needs to be more. More people involved. Because the foundation of prayer beneath the church can bring great things to that church. So Paul's concern is their faith level. What is the faith level of our converts there? So it's his temperature is of their spiritual health. It's faith that he's looking for. He doesn't assume because they're Christians that they are automatically walking in robust faith. And we can't either. Just because a person is Christian does not mean they have a vital, pure, uh, difficult, but, but good faith. So I guess I'd ask you the question, what is your faith temperature tonight? Where do you stand? The Bible says are either hot or cold or lukewarm. Where are you in your faith tonight? 
Do you, are, you, are you cold? Are you lukewarm? Are you hot for God? Uh, it's a very important question to ask. And I think we can all find a definition for faith in the Bible. Uh, I'll tell you there's one found in Hebrews 11 which says that faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things that are not seen. Noah is an example of one who believed in things not seen and yet had real faith believing that they would come to pass. And how many days did he go out with his hammer and his lumber and whatever else he used with his sons and build on that ark day after day when people laughed at him and made fun of him? What about Thomas? Thomas said, I've got to see evidence of the resurrected Lord. I've got to see the holes in his side. I've got to see nail prints in his hand. And when he saw it, he said, My Lord and my God. Fell on his knees and cried out to his God. And then John, later in that passage, says, More blessed are those who have believed and yet not seen. Ladies and gentlemen, that's you and me. More blessed are those who have believed and not seen. But we have to have faith. So Jesus Christ is the author of our faith. He's the finisher of our faith. He's the object of our faith. He's the embodiment of our faith. He's the forerunner of our faith. And He is the way of saving faith. And I think we all know that saving faith is connected to repentance and faith. And repentance and faith are at the beginning of conversion. Now, I think we can define conversion as our response to the gospel call in which we sincerely repent of our sins and place our trust in Christ for salvation. The turning from our sins is called repentance. The turning to Christ is called faith. And we can look at both of these elements of conversion and realize that both of them are there at a person's regeneration, at their conversion. Faith and repentance. Turning from our sins in repentance. Turning to Christ in faith. There's faith again. Faith is all over the Scriptures. Now, someone asked me the question, I I thought you only had to have one experience of saving faith and repentance. That's true. There is just the initial saving faith and repentance. But the idea of repentance... And faith goes with us the rest of our lives. We never stop repenting. I got to repent a lot. I guess I'm a worse sinner than you are. I got to do a lot of repenting. And it happens all the time. Um, I heard a missionary from Ghana speak one time and said they had a tremendous revival in their country for a long time. And he said the key to their revival was people would greet each other during the day and say or ask, have you confessed your sins today? my brother, and my sister. That's how they greeted one another. All day long. So we need to live, even though repentance and conversion that leads to salvation happens once, we have to live in repentance and faith all throughout our lives. It never will end. Now, what do you think would amaze Jesus Christ? What do you think would really turn him on in the Scriptures? Where would you look? 
you probably would look in the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But can you think of places where Jesus almost would say, wow, I can't believe this happened. Do you think he'd be wowed by someone's righteousness? I don't think so. Because he was totally pure and holy himself. I don't think righteousness was going to be something that's really going to impress him. I don't think that would be the answer. Do you think that he would be impressed by education or wisdom? And I don't think that there's any place in the Scripture where God or Jesus places a premium on ignorance. I think we should be as educated as we can. But I don't think wisdom and education would be a wow to Jesus Christ. Important, yes. But I don't think it would wow Him. Um, I don't think I read in the Scriptures that Jesus says, Wow, Matthew is smart. What a financial genius I've picked to be one of my disciples. I don't read that and you don't either. I don't read there where he says, this Thomas has great scientific inquiry to his life. He's a a real scientist. I'm sure glad I picked him. I'm wowed by the ministry of Thomas. And Peter didn't impress him with his strength or his toughness. But you know what impressed him. What impressed him was people's faith. That's what impressed him. Think in the Gospels of examples where Jesus talked about this faith and how it astonished him, how it impressed him, and the comments that he would make in regards to people's faith. Let me give you an example of a couple and even one where there wasn't too much faith. Here's my, here's my first one that was. You remember the Roman centurion? Well, the Roman centurion came to Jesus because he wanted his servant to be healed. Jesus said, I'll be involved in that. I'll do it. And the centurion said, you don't have to. All you have to do is speak a word of healing, and my servant will be healed. Jesus was amazed at him, and he turned to the crowd following him and said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in all of Israel. That astonished him. That that centurion would believe, would exhibit that kind of faith. I tell you, I have not seen that great a faith nowhere, even in all of Israel. Do you remember when the foreigner, a Canaanite woman, came pleading on his behalf, excuse me, on the behalf of a demon-possessed daughter? And she wouldn't take no for an answer. She just kept following She just kept pestering She just kept staying after Jesus so that he would come and heal her daughter. Jesus said in Matthew 15, 28, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. It's your faith that impresses me. It's your faith that astonishes me. On the other hand, you know where his hometown was? Nazareth. Jesus goes back to Nazareth where he grew up. And he did no miracles there except lay hands on a few sick people and heal them. And then according to Mark 6, 5 through 6, 6, he was amazed at their lack of faith in his hometown. Remember he said a prophet has no honor in his own country? He didn't do a lot in his home, around his hometown of Nazareth. He, he didn't accomplish much. Do you think there were some sicknesses there that were too extreme for him? 
that he couldn't handle it? That they had some stuff going on around Nazareth that just, I don't want to mess with this. No, I don't think so. Do you think there was some demon that was too powerful for him? That he wasn't going to mess with? No. He could handle any of them. But on this particular day in Nazareth, very little happens. Jesus would lay down this principle in Matthew 9.29. According to your faith, will it be done? Your faith. It seems that people's faith would release divine power and things would happen because of their faith once again. Well, faith is the key. Faith is the key to our lives, if you really look at it. Saving faith at the beginning, and then that active, vibrant, pure, abiding faith that we should be living in right now. How you doing? How you doing in your faith walk? Is God doing things in your life? Are you seeing things happen? Happen? You know, we think about Jimmy. You know, is he seeing things happen in his missionary endeavor? Yeah, if you read through the lines, I think you'll see in his emails that things are happening. And powerful things do happen to men and women who are sincerely interested in growing in their faith. But it's got to last a lifetime, as you know. Jimmy has said many times, our trying, our struggling, and our promising won't get it done. It is our faith. And faith is more than simply words. I think of a dialogue that happens in which it's, these words are used. These people come to me with their mouths, honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. You ever been like that? I was. I remember as a little boy before I became a Christian, my mom and dad always took me to church and I would sing in the choir and do the various things you're supposed to do. And After church, I'd wait out on the steps and the older ladies in the church would come by and they'd say, Oh, Jeff, you're just a fine boy. And uh, I wanted to snap their garter belts. That was how honorary I was at that time. <laughs> but I could sure get the words out. I could sure honor God with my mouth and with my lips. But my heart, my heart was far, far from me. And then as a 19-year-old, I went to a tent meeting. Y'all remember those tent meetings? I went to an old-fashioned tent meeting in the town. 1,500 people in the town. They strung a tent up right in the middle of town and all the churches came together. And I went even though I had this religious background because my girlfriend who's now my wife insisted I go or we weren't ever going anywhere again. (laughs) I took her. I went. And her and I both heard the gospel, I think, for the first time. And it penetrated. It was strong. It was powerful. And everything that he said that night, I knew he was speaking to me. The invitation was given, and I looked around, and my girlfriend was gone. She would went to the front, which is what they did at tent meetings, and she was being counseled. And I just said, well, I'm just, don't, everybody knows in this town I'm all-state basketball. You know, you know I'm, I'm too good for this kind of stuff. You know, I'm, I'm not going to respond, even though I knew God, the Holy Spirit, was bringing conviction. Uh, I met her after the counseling was over for her. And I could see that a new work had begun in her life. She wasn't the same person. And I took her home, and at the door, 
He just kind of looked at me with a look of something wonderful happened to me. Something began tonight in my life. And I sure wish that you would have it. I went home and uh, tried to go to sleep. You ever try to sleep when you're under conviction? Those verses just kept coming back that the man had used that night. That preacher in the old tent meeting, it just kept coming back. And it was just in my mind, word for word. And about 3.30 or 4 o'clock in the morning somewhere along that, I knelt at my bed and I said, God, I know you're talking to me. And you have got my attention. Would you come into my life? I confess my sin to you. I'm a sinner. I'm hopelessly lost. I need you to be my Savior and Lord. And went through the prayer myself at my bed. That's what transformed my life. Supernatural things are are happening. But they're happening according to faith. To faith. Jesus was interested in faith. That's what astonished him. That's what got his attention. As we sit here tonight, there are four teens out visiting homes evangelistically, knocking on doors because they have faith. I'm not saying you're, you don't have faith because you're listening to me. You have faith too, obviously. But I'm saying they're expecting the supernatural to occur. There is a grassroots of people who are praying within our church, and that number is building. Faith, they are, they are really experiencing a vibrant, pure, real faith in their lives. There are, there are those who are, are vitally interested in missions right now in our church. And their number is growing. And they have a desire to make our church more aware of the mission opportunities among community and global missions within our church. It could be supernatural. It could be exciting. It could astonish our Lord as he sees our faith. I don't know what you expect when Jimmy comes back. I'm excited to see him when he comes back. But who knows? You know, he is experiencing things that I never have experienced before. Uh, what astonishes Jesus Christ is our faith. Well, I've got to wind it down. And I do. I will. But I want to point out to you that we've got to be, be careful when you're talking about this word faith because there are a lot of people that have this name it and claim it type of faith. We've got to be careful about that, that particular number. We need to really evaluate those type of uh, uh, endeavors because I don't think the scripture says we can name it and claim it. Uh, I don't think that the scripture says that we'll have a prosperity theology or we should have that that we should believe because we're Christians everything's going to come our way I look out there and I know a lot of people out there would say ain't ain't a lot of things come my way and I'm a Christian I've experienced that too sometimes the faith can be out of balance and uh, the people will look at what works for me and they'll look at formulas and there ain't no formulas to God coming to your life he comes in response to saving faith, and then pure, vibrant, abiding faith. You know, there's something about that word abiding. You see it a lot in the, in the New Testament. And I almost uh, see an attachment there that uh, Jesus desires. If you'll abide in me, I'll abide in you. Abide, abide. That's another one of those words that I'd like to study more and more about. And I don't know exactly how to do it, but I think that's the place I want to go. How about you? 
Do you want be want more want to be more of one who abides with the Lord Jesus Christ and has the faith to abide? I hope and, and trust that you do. Well, I want to thank you for your attention tonight, and I want to close it off in prayer. And I want to draw your attention to our blue blue cards because we are putting on those blue cards uh, a global and a community missionary that, that we're recognizing during that month. And if you can see yours, for example, you can see that the one that's been picked for community this month is Life Choices. And see, we support Life Choices in Memphis. We believe in uh, those babies having an opportunity to have life. And you can see the word says, Pray for this Christian organization dedicated to the preservation of life. We operate two pregnancy help centers and a state-licensed adoption agency that provide a post-abortion outreach ministry and support services to mothers wanting to give life to their unborn children. Your dollars helps to save babies' lives, to give the babies opportunities to live, uh, for mothers uh, a, a chance to find some type of life for themselves. It's, it's a wonderful, wonderful ministry. The next one is Greater Europe Missions to France. And that guy's name is Tom Guffey. And Tom in France has a camp, and he brings young people and he brings families in to his camp for recreation, for a, for a vacation time. But in doing that, he is using it as a ministry. And if you've never seen Tom Guffey take a potter's wheel, he was here last summer, and he take, brought this potter wheel in, and all the time he's working with the pottery, he's presenting the gospel as he goes through that. Tom is a, is a wonderful missionary. These are just two. Uh, we have 43 to 44 missions that we support community and global-wise. And they're doing wonderful jobs. We've got, we got some people that are unbelievable in what they're able to accomplish. Yet we've, all of them need prayer. All of them need prayer. And uh, I hope that you'll pray as I pray for you and with you uh, about these two missionaries as we close. Let's pray.